Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. talk about today is called crash landing on you which all the kids on tiktok they all know they all refer to it as coley acronym for crash landing on you uh it's a tvn drama that's streaming on netflix it came out in december 2019 and it ran until february 2020 and the writer of this show is pak ji eun she also wrote the show the producers which came out in 2015 uh she wrote the massively successful show My Love from the Star, right? Starring Chun ji and Kim soo came out in 2013, lasted through 2014, another winter drama. And that show put the Korean fried chicken on the world's map, right? Fried chicken and beer, chimek, it became a thing. Um, it made China very jealous and it actually, it, it led to um, Korean media being banned from China for a little while. It's a whole thing. Crash Landing is about a wealthy Chebol brat named Yoon Seri. So we're not talking about a poor girl here. We're talking about a very wealthy young woman named Yoon Seri. She's played by the very talented, very beautiful Son Yejin, who is named heiress to her father's company, her father's corporate conglomerate company. But her two older brothers and her two sisters-in-law do everything they can to snag her place, okay? Sidi has a, uh, a peculiarity about her in terms of um, her her relationship to the family. So Sidi's dad is her um, real father, but Sidi's mother is not her real mother. So Sidi was born, um, she's the product of an affair of her father's. So um, Sidi's relationship with her mother is very fraught. Let's put it that way. In fact, Sidi and her mom have a bit of contention because of the time that Sidi's mom tried to abandon her on a beach as a child. She was about to abandon her on the beach and, and um, just, you know, do away with her that way uh, because Sidi's mother was obviously very unhappy. Her husband just cheated on her and had a child out of, you know, out of an affair. Um, that she needs to now raise and so she was very unhappy and tried to uh, kill herself and wanted to kill her daughter as well so that left a bit of trauma on city which is understandable right so city uh, is a cheboy brat but also a pretty bomb ass ceo of her own company called city's choice which sells um, her own line of fashion makeup accessories etc um, so city goes paragliding one day to show off one of her sportswear collection but she gets caught in a spontaneous unforeseen hurricane as they happen and crash lands in North Korea where she is found by a North Korean soldier named Lee Jung-hyuk played by the very handsome very talented Hyun-bin aka the fella who rose to massive fame through his 2005 appearance in my lovely Kim Samsun classic Korean drama right in fact, Crash Landing gives a nod to Hyunbin's Kim Sun-soon uh, legacy when Seri tells everyone in North Korea that her name is 
Che Sam Suk, and she is Ri Jung Yuk's fiance. She plays Ri Jung Yuk's fiance, even though they're technically not at all. At the time, they're they're not lovers at all. Uh, but yeah, like Kim Sam Sun sounds very similar to Sam Suk, and so I, I I figure that this is some kind of homage to Hyun Bin's uh, past credits. Seri's only wish is to go back to Seoul. Okay. She wants to go back to Seoul where she can just continue to live her bomb-ass rich lady life. But she can't because she's an enemy of the state. So Ri Jung-yuk does everything he can to help her cross the DMZ. DMZ stands for Demilitarized Zone. Uh, and he tries to get her on a boat back to South Korea but ends up smooching her. <laughs> uh, he tries to get her on a plane but he gets shot. He needs blood. So Sadie donates hers. They just so happen to be... Uh, the same blood type, I think O, and um, yeah, she was able to donate her blood to him and uh, saves his life, but she misses her flight back to Seoul, right? And then somehow, somehow, Ri Jung-yuk ends up just taking her across the border by foot. I don't know why they couldn't just do this like four episodes ago. Um, of course, they couldn't do it because that wouldn't that wouldn't lead to that wouldn't result in the most entertaining of Korean dramas, I suppose. But yeah, she just walks across the border by foot. Suddenly, it's all okay. Suddenly, it's like fine to do that. It's like not an issue. But then by that point, both Seri and Ri Jung-yuk really like each other. They're in love, right? Like Ri Jung-yuk did a lot of things that would make a woman like Seri fall for a guy like him, you know? Like he force kissed her a couple of times. He grabbed her by the arm a couple of times. She was completely and solely reliant on him during the entire stay in North Korea because she had no money, no friends, no place to stay. She couldn't even peel the hot potato that they were having on this like random like bonfire. So he peeled the potato for her. He like yelled at her a couple of times. Like the one time he yelled at her real loudly was when she was like running towards him right after she was recovering from her gunshot wound. Like like they both got shot in this drama. It's like very intense, right? And she was like recovering from a gunshot wound and she was like running towards him when he was about to cross um, the DMZ and go back to North Korea. And he was like yelling at her for like running. Um, so he does all these, like, how do you say, he performs all these, like, toxically masculinist behaviors that would make a K-drama woman swoon because all these K-drama bitches are fucking, you know, masochists and they enjoy a toxic guy. It's just, that's how they were written. I don't know why, but I wish it would stop. I wish Korean dramas, you know... Korean dramas need to be directed by more women. Maybe that would help resolve this because it's like it's always a thing. Like, I really doubt that the the TV screenwriter who is typically a woman when they're writing these romance dramas, like, I really doubt that she wrote in he grabs her by the wrist and yanks her real hard. Like, I really doubt he she writes that. But then the direction would have that grab her by the wrist and yank her towards you, and grab her by the wrist and twirl her, twirl her around, force her to fucking look at you in the face and then smooch her or grab her and then drag her somewhere and then yell at her because you care about her because that's <laughs> that's what caring is it's screaming at her in the face for doing something wrong <laughs> it's like so messed up anyway um this drama has a lot of blatant public display of affection between these two i mean like a lot of pda 
up the wazoo in front of their colleagues, their parents, the whole nation. It's very wacky. It's too much. All right. And then there's this like whole other backstory of like when Sadie was in Switzerland and tried to commit suicide because she was so unhappy. Uh, but she just so happened to hear Lee Jung-yuk playing the piano <laughs> uh, because he used to be a, a, a piano virtuoso um, when he was a, a, an exchange student in Switzerland. Um, and she hears this piano tune and she decides to live. <laughs> it's like very random, but that's the thing. That's the thing that decides her fate, right? So she heard his music. She ate some Kit Kats in Switzerland and decided to live, okay? They go through more drama because there's a North Korean lieutenant commander named Cho Chulgang who is driven by envy and hatred for Lee Jung-yuk and wants him dead. Honestly, I completely forgot what is beef with him was like I just don't remember what it was I don't even care honestly all we know is that Cho Chogang has some issues and the show for whatever reason attributes all of his anger problems to his orphaned upbringing which I find very fucked up considering the history that Korea has with orphans and the continuation of Korean adoptees today like it's a gross misrepresentation of orphaned and adopted children which I do not like. And a lot of Korean dramas have this problem, which I'll address in a later podcast, but that shit's really got to stop. Anyway, in the end, Cho Chogang dies. Okay, He tried to kill Seri, tried to kill Ri Jung-yeok. He winds up dead, and evildoers always die in a melodrama. If the evil person doesn't get their just desserts, it's not a melodrama. That's just how the formula is. Okay, uh, Ri Jung-yeok needs to go back to North Korea. That's his home. That's where his allegiance is. That is where he is a soldier at. That's where his family is. That's where his friends are. Um, and Seri needs to stay in South Korea because that is where she runs her business. That's where her friends are. That is where her, you know, family is and all, all that shit. So they separate. All right. They separate. It's awful. It's so sad. But worry not. Their love is strong. Okay. They exchanged couple rings on Seri's birthday and everything. It's like very, they're very much into each other. All right. So worry not. Um, the Korean Peninsula has been divided since 1945, right when World War II ended. It was divided by the U.S. and the USSR over differences in political ideologies, right? One was socialist, the other a republic. Uh, and there was a Korean Civil War in 1950, which lasted till 1953, but the war technically never ended, right? To this day, North and South Korea are technically at a state of war. They just had a ceasefire in 1953. No peace treaty was signed. And that's the reason why there's so many soldiers at the 38th parallel, the demilitarized zone, which is a zone that the U.S. randomly picked, by the way. This is also the reason why every single um, able-bodied South Korean man is required, mandated, to perform his conscription service duty, which is that he goes and serves in the military for 18 months. This is required. That's why, you know, when K-pop artists, male K-pop artists reach a certain age, they disappear for a couple years. Same goes for actors like Kim Soo-yeon. He just recently got back and um, in fact, he has a cameo on this show. So let's be mindful of the fact that the Korean War is also an American war. Okay. A lot of American soldiers served in the Korean War. Tens of thousands have. Uh, for Koreans, there was no such thing as a Cold War, okay? The so-called Cold War era that lasted from the 1940s to the 1980s is not a concept to Koreans because 
Korea suffered a hot war, right? Same goes to, for Vietnam. The Vietnamese don't know what the hell a Cold War is because there was a war in their country for a very long time, right? Approximately 4 million Korean civilians lost their lives during the three years of battle in the Korean War. And if you want to read more about the Korean War, I would start out with this book, The Korean War. It's written by Bruce Cummings, okay? Um, and if you want to read more about like Korean children and adoptees, Korean American uh, history shortly after the Korean War, I would check out this book by Suzy Wu, Frames by War. It's about Korean women and children. It's a great book. Great book if you want to get into um, Asian American history, Korean American history, all of that. Okay, so in the end, in the end, Seri and Cheongyeok end up together. Of course, they have to, right? They end up in the neutral country of Switzerland, right? It's the one place that they can meet in. Uh, they meet in this beautiful house surrounded by idyllic pastures. It's a mountain view. I don't know what their deal is. I don't know if they moved in there together forever or if this is just their place of like vacation. It sounds to me like what their deal is that they meet for two weeks, <laughs> like once a year, and they just like hang out at this crib um, and have picnics and just enjoy each other. I don't know. The um, ending reminds me of like descendants of the sun it also reminds me of the ending of goblin right like guardian the lonely and great god it's like a fusion of these two dramas i feel like um i also feel like uh crash landing on you felt a little bit like shawshank redemption meets snow white and the seven dwarves plus the lies of others you know because you have like that surveillance thing going on um like the the four north korean soldiers that are around city all the time they remind me of like the seven dwarves and like cities treated like snow white um it feels like shawshank redemption a little bit because like the um the north koreans have to like smuggle their way into south korea in these illegitimate sort of tunnels and paths um so it's it's pretty wild um episode five has a really bizarre scene not even a scene it's more of a shot there's a shot of an ostrich in a giant cage <laughs> and then, like Lee Jung-uk drives up to his parents house and he's like to his mom he's like why do you have an ostrich and she's like oh ostriches are like all the rave like they're better they're better guard pets than dogs I'm like what <laughs> like why why do you need an ostrich on you? You don't need that. You don't need a gigantic bird on your lawn. That sounds like so much work. Um, I can't believe, I mean, human beings will do anything to cage an animal, right? Including an ostrich, you know? Like, how you gotta cage an ostrich? That that just seems so fucked up. Going back to Kim soo cameo appearance in episode five, there's some weight there, okay? Um, it's a very strategic way to announce Kim soo return from his mandatory military duty. And he's actively working again. It's just a way for TV to just announce like, okay, Kim Soo-yeon's back. It's also a nod to the drama that he was in that was written by the same writer, okay? the My Love from Another Star, Kim Soo-yeon was a star in that. So since it's the same writer, it's just like, oh, like let's have this cameo appearance from this guy, okay? Um, his cameo appearance, um, he plays a pop. Uh, Pang Donggu, which is a character he played in a, a film called Secretly Greatly, which came out in 2013. And in that, Kim Soo-yeon plays a North Korean spy disguised as a mentally disabled high school student who's also a guitar player. And I haven't seen the film, but it was immensely popular. And so there's this um, intertext of uh, the Pang Donggu character who appears as a cameo in this show, 
uh, to kind of help out these other fellow North Koreans who are who are there, right? I think it's hilarious that Lee Jung-yuk uh, Shawshank redemptioned his way into South Korea through a sea cave um, just to meet City again. And then he just so happens to meet City in the streets of Gangnam. And then the first place they go to is Angel in his coffee house. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> He's been through so much. Like, that's... And Gangnam is huge. It's an enormous place. Like, you just randomly bump into City like that. It's wild. So the cafe that was the product placement on the show is very clearly and starkly Angels in Us Coffee. If you did not, if you did not realize this, it's not a Tucson place. It's not Taikum Coffee. It's Angel in Us Coffee. Okay. I loved episode eleven the most. I would say because you know how like um, like all the women, all the girls love that movie Pretty Woman because like they love that Beverly Hills scene when she goes shopping, right? Like. I love that scene. Like a lot of chicks love that scene because like she goes shopping and is like, wow, that's like so fun. Um, but we have that moment in episode 11, except City takes Chung Hyuk out shopping. Like she dresses him up like she wants him to look. She gets his hair done. You know, it's like so awesome to see a woman just kind of like, you know, just being agentic and just practicing this sort of like um power this enacting power over her man like in this way it's like oh i want you to be presentable enough for my viewing pleasures for my for my taste i want you to meet my standards now and i was just like yeah i'm so into that like fuck yeah you know because um that's sort of turning this tradition on its head right and all the korean dramas up until now for the most part the romantic ones it would have the rich guy who would like dress up the girl and then she appears again like the whole pretty woman trope right like dresses her up and he looks at her and she looks gorgeous now she doesn't look like a poor pauper like whorish you know destitute looking brat she looks like a beautiful woman and he's like you know love at first sight like starstruck right um and that's what she does with Lee Jung-yuk but he's more than that you know she's She's into the way that he holds the door open for all the patrons at the shopping mall, you know, like she's into that. And she's also very possessive of him, you know, it's <laughs> just like a very unattractive quality, actually. But like, yeah, like when the when the store clerk is like ogling him, she's like very protective of him, you know. Um, so I found that very interesting. There is a very subtle but very, um, a very apparent Kit Kat bar product placement on this program and I was a little bit disappointed by the fact that of all the chocolates that they could have chosen that are Swiss based I mean Switzerland the capital of chocolates uh, they chose Kit Kat as the one to feature on this program like are you fucking kidding me like I get it I get that Nestle is a Swiss owned company but Kit Kat just so happens to be the one chocolate bar that is made in America like why why does it have to be Kit Kat you're in Switzerland why couldn't it have been like Godiva or something you know something better like Lindt something better something something more luxurious and and expensive <laughs> I love the scene in episode 13 when the Korean drama obsessed North Korean soldier meets his actress of his dreams, Chiju, right? Chiju, the actress, the K drama actress that everybody loves. And I love the fact that they did not dwell on um, Kyo Yunga or Winter Sonata because, like, 
I'm just so sick and tired of like everybody being obsessed with that drama. It's like not even that good of a drama. I, I, that's right. I said it. Kyol Yunga Winter Sonata is not that good of a drama. Okay? Fight me. I don't care. It's not that good of a drama. All right? The show that Cheji was on that's so much better is Stairway to Heaven, okay? Cheonggukye Kedan, which is a 2003 drama, and it's it's so good. And Cheju like Cheju um the younger version of Cheju, she gifts this hat and scarf to her like oppa, the her love her love interest. And um, the K-drama obsessed North Korean soldier wears that hat and scarf. I thought that was so sweet and so cute, you know? And uh, they have this lovely lunch together. And I was just like, fuck yeah. Like, put that in there, you know? Show show, show the world that, like, North Korea loves Korean dramas. Because North Korea, they, they do love Korean dramas. Like, um, having anything South Korean is completely illegal in North Korea. But, like, every single... A state that is, you know, uh, an authoritarian state, they all have their ways of smuggling in um, cultural products that are, you know, uh, banned by that country. They'll, they'll bring it in. Korean dramas is one of them. Uh, they've been watching Korean dramas for as long as Korean dramas have been around. So um, I really appreciated that part as well. So all in all, really excellent show. Um, I think... I think it's I think it's great. I don't think it's um, my favorite show of all time, but it's definitely like got this aesthetic that I love. Um, I and I am such a huge fan of both of these actors. Like I love Son Yejin so much. I think she's a remarkable actress. Very very versatile. She can do um, dramatic roles. She has got amazing comedic timing in this show which I love. And actually, uh, the other Park ji drama, My Love from the Star, which stars Chun ji like Chun ji um, is like, she's like a force of nature on that drama. And like Chun ji has this sort of like, uh, how do you say, like belligerent, sort of like rough around the edges kind of persona on a lot of um, TV dramas and movies because of her uh the the hit film i think it came out in year 2000 called uh or my sassy girl and she's like very you know rough around the edges in that movie so she kind of has this uh branding chun jian has this branding and she brings a lot of a lot of this like high sort of high how do you say high energy um persona into the show Mila from the star and a lot of actresses have been copying Chun Jian's performance on that drama and or trying to emulate that. And that's been so fucking annoying to see. I really don't appreciate it when artists um, copy other artists. I want them to do their own thing. But what Son Yejin does, and this is really a testament to her um, discipline as an actress for somebody who's been doing it for many, many years, like two decades, uh, maybe more. Yeah, I think possibly longer but definitely like at least two decades um but yeah uh sonia jin is an amazing actress because she has sort of this like you know snobby um bratty persona in crash landing on you but she doesn't try and emulate chun jian she's her own kind of character on this program and she's just as hilarious just as um charming and beautiful and 
interesting and complicated. Um, and so I, I just, I love Son Yejin so much. I'll, I'll watch anything that Son Yejin does. And Hyunbin is also an amazing, um, like, co-star in this drama, too. Like, I feel like the two of them have amazing chemistry. I think Hyunbin is also a remarkable actor. When I saw him in uh, Kim Samsun, I just thought he was, like, so impressive. I mean, he was super young. Like, he was in his early 20s when he did that drama. And he brought it he was like such a he just felt like a very seasoned very accomplished actor from like day one and so i thought the two of them had amazing chemistry on this show and i really appreciate both of their performances um so i strongly recommend it i mean honestly if you've been listening to this whole thing you probably have already seen it already if you haven't then my goodness did i spoil this drama for you but as i said from episode one at the top of the hour i said you will have spoilers in every single um, episode of this podcast. So that's, I'm just, I'm just keeping up. I'm just keeping my word. Okay. That's all I'm doing. Today's guest is Will Hines and he is a stand-up comedian, improv comedian, actor. He's based here in LA. Um, he is also an improv teacher. He wrote a whole book about improv comedy called how to be the greatest improviser on earth. Uh, in fact, he taught Ilana Glazer from Broad City. So there you go. Um, he is a very accomplished actor. He's been on many films in many on, on many TV shows. Uh, you've probably seen him in like uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He was in the um, Between Two Ferns Netflix movie with Zach Galifianakis. He's been on numerous podcasts, including Comedy Bang Bang. He is um, very intelligent. Uh, he's hilarious. He is uh, a great teacher. I, I assume he's a great teacher just based on the things that he was saying. Um, and he's a very all in all interesting, wonderful person. So let's talk to Will Hines. Yeah, it's amazing how like going to an office where it's very sedentary, you don't do much. And yet it takes the life out of you. Yeah, you're just like so tired by the end of the day often. You try to do something creative at night and stuff, and it would be difficult. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I am, um, first of all, accomplishments. I mean, thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. Accomplishments do tend to look bigger in a real type of format. You know, that's taking <laughs> like two years worth of, like my reel is almost my entire, my entire, not just like, excerpts from but the entire time that i was filmed right. can fit into a reel uh -huh. um so it's, it's not i like i don't make a living off of acting hmm. i uh, i teach improv and do like corporate workshops and the acting work is almost like a part-time supplemental job mm -hmm. yeah i noticed that um you you teach improv like yeah you even wrote a book about it how to be the greatest <laughs> yeah. improviser on earth <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you've been teaching it for a long time. Did you really teach yeah. uh, Ilana Glazer and Abby Jacobson? Yeah, I did. Um, so actually, cool. I didn't technically teach Abby. I um, she she was a student. Maybe I coached her, but right. Ilana, I taught in two improv courses: level one and level two improv at UCB. Back when she was like nineteen or twenty, and her brother Elliot took the classes with her. Um, yeah, they were really nice and really funny. I mean, she was definitely a standout, um, super sharp, really funny. So was he. Um, 
and I mean, she was quite young. I, I think she was 19, if I'm remembering this right, when she took the first class and, you know, very, very like <clears throat> mature, smart, confident 19 year old, but still 19, right. you know, fi figuring herself out and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, she definitely stood out as like super funny and, um, and then when she and Abby became like a pair, mm -hmm. a comedy pair, um, it was fun to, I, they were, they were people that you would say hi to. And I, I definitely tried to stay in touch with them, not out of like, oh, they're going to be big someday mm -hmm. just cause they're like cool, funny people. I would just right. be glad to see them. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was skimming your book a little bit. And I noted oh, that wow. one of the major foundations of improv that you mentioned is presence, being present. Yeah. Can you right? Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yes, I mean this is I think technically more of an acting thing than an improv thing. Although improv is more acting than anything else, mm -hmm. but yeah, be present. Like um, try to. Um, experience the current moment and feel things fully and say back what you are feeling in the moment without worrying about controlling the next move or steering a conversation and don't focus on where it's going or what the point is like hmm. there's enough of a as a performer you can be interesting just by sort of kind of like loudly feeling the moment, hmm. um, you know, like in improv, you can, you know, I, I think people who haven't done it would sort of think that it's largely doing witty ad libs, you know, and mm -hmm. sort of feats of intelligence, but, and that's, that's part of it, but much, much more often your job is to react to something in a sort of plausible way, you know, like somebody, does something weird and you go, wow. Mm -hmm. And like genuinely, like not like intellectually, like you just are surprised. Mm -hmm. You go, wow, that can like get a laugh. If the audience sort of like relates to you or agrees with you or was feeling the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. And so like that is connected to the idea of like being present. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that it's related to acting because there's so many actors and I'm sure you, you, you know, this, you've seen this, um, in Los Angeles, in New York, anywhere who yeah. get into like Eastern spirituality, like <laughs> deeply. Yeah. In and yeah, that's true. Presence is a huge, like part, a component, a principle of like Buddhist philosophy. Right. I have a guess as to why this is. Why do you think it is? Well, I mean, I think actors just need some kind of spiritual grounding at all times, considering how mm -hmm. rough their job is. I'm not an actress. Yeah. I don't consider myself an actor. I'm not out there auditioning and hustling, you know, putting, yeah. you know, but being an actor requires like... I don't, I don't know, like just resilience and trust, uh, yeah. in the self, in the universe and not, and trying so hard not to be anxious and worry, worrying about whether or not they're going to get it or worrying about approval of some sort. And yet their job, it, 
all of it is like it it requires approval it requires yeah acceptance um yeah, yeah so in order to mitigate that i feel like actors get into eastern spirituality heavily because it's got this it's a very compassionate sort of religion as opposed to like yeah. western religions which are very um you know everybody's just like by default a sinner right and it's very yeah, right, right, right. rough on the soul but um i feel like yeah in that regard eastern religion and spirituality maybe helps them helps their anxiety a little bit so i think maybe that's why i think presence is yeah. is like attractive to actors for that reason i mean aside from the craft i'm talking more about their mental and um, emotional health yeah yeah I, I think that's what it is too like um the you have so little control over your career right you are completely dependent on other people with power and money picking you yep. that it can be maddening. And so, and opportunities come and go and you usually don't a hundred percent know why either one of them happen. <laughs> and you see friends doing much better than you just because it's sort of human nature to zone in on mm -hmm. people who have things you don't, that it uh, drives you insane. And right. yeah, Eastern philosophy, I would, just from my own amateurish experience mm -hmm. to it seems like it would be a good fit for letting go of control and not controlling and you know just observing the current moment yeah. without trying to steer it yeah yeah but um yeah i think it's a big part of acting i tried in that book i mean that book is just a hodgepodge of advice for improv there's no like central thesis that ties it all together uh -huh. but i tried to like think about which pieces of advice had made a made a difference to me and meant a lot to me and I also, and also that I thought would actually be helpful, that would actually make somebody better. I mean, whether or not the book does this, I don't know. But <laughs> uh -huh. so be present. I was like, well, no, that's like real advice. That makes you a better actor, mm -hmm. for I believe, for sure. So, yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit. I think a better comedian overall, I think. So you're a stand-up, yeah? Yeah. I, I... It, applies, it applies to stand-up, I much. think. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dabbler way, way less experience in stand-up than improv. But yeah. it seemed to me that if you're in front of an audience, being present is part of it. They oh, yeah. are watching you in that moment and they want you to notice what they're noticing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Like right now, a lot of comics are doing the Zoom shows. And yeah. it's like an impossibility to just look at a bunch of small screens uh, yeah. hoping that they're listening and with me when I am delivering long form, <laughs> you know, joke telling and hoping that in the end, my punchlines payoff will be there, that it'll land. Like, it's just an impossibility. And so what I've been trying to do is just talk about them to them. And that is when they're like with me, you know? So it's just basically mm. like... It's just crowd work is all I'm capable of doing when I'm on Zoom shows. That's the only thing I feel most comfortable doing. Um, I used to try to do a joke about feeling self-conscious about being older. I'm 50, and I would have been doing this joke when I was 49. Mm -hmm. And I, would, I had a series of things I wanted to talk about that. And I, and I wasn't able to make any of it go over. And frankly, a lot of my material would not go over no matter what the subject. Uh -huh. But in this particular one, I was like, one, one open mic... I shifted it and instead addressed the audience. And I was like, who here is 30? 
<laughs> and of course, there's a wide range of ages, but there's a good amount of people who are close to 30. You know, right. they're coming up on 30 or they just passed it. Uh-huh. Way more than there are people who are 49 or 50. Uh-huh. And so I just started shitting on people who were 30. I was like, <laughs> take it from me. Your life's over at 30. Nothing gets better. If you turn 30 and you're insecure that you're too old, you're absolutely right. You are too old. <laughs> yeah. It's over. And they, they ate this up. They loved it. Yeah. So me talking about the insecurity of being 49, they listened to it, but they did not seem particularly mm-hmm. engaged. Me talking about the shittiness of being 30, they loved it. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, they don't want to hear about me. They want to hear about them. Recently, nowadays, just thinking, I was like, wow, like, actually, Buddhism and comedy have a lot of, like, similarities. Like, they're, they're yeah. like parallel religions, almost, or parallel, like, <laughs> paths of living, you know, because in Buddhism, they emphasize that, like, you know, human beings just want recognition. That's all they want. And then yeah. in comedy, the way to get laughs is recognition giving the audience recognition yeah. as you say you're accommodating them by not yeah. talking about yourself but still talking about yourself but making it seem like you're talking about them like relatable giving them things they either agree with or mm-hmm. could could relate to or something exactly yeah. yeah making it about them like like with the zoom shows and the crowd work like make it about them and then they'll yeah. they'll start laughing you know um, and it's like laughter is, I guess, I mean, one of the reasons why comedians like laughter is because it's approval. It's like, oh, you're good. Yeah. They like you, right? Yeah, and Twitter is like sort of retweets and uh, likes on Twitter. Uh-huh. Is it likes or faves? I forget. Likes, yeah. I think. Um, are just saying, I agree with this. Right. I don't think it's necessarily even saying this is funny or interesting. Right. Sometimes it is, but... What it's primarily saying is I like a, a like is saying I can see that and a retweet is like I identify with this. This is me. Huh. Um, what about so the tweet a so if you put tweet. on Twitter like, quote a tweet is like, yeah, um, this is me, but I have to qualify it a little bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so if you theoretically if you tweet something interesting but people don't identify with it. Mm-hmm. They don't react, but if you like tweet like, I don't know, I'm so sick of talking about politics. That's a thing that a lot of people feel. Mm-hmm. I bet you'd get like a bunch of retweet, even though that is obvious and you're not making any addition or contribution to that thought. If you just put, I'm sick of talking about politics, mm-hmm. there'd be a lot of people who would retweet it. Like, yeah, this is me. This is me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to have substance. Right. It, just it, be it just has to be relatable. Relatable and generic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it's almost better, I think. In what I once I once tweeted I love apples. Uh-huh. And that got like more engagement than anything <laughs> I had tweeted like in a while. See people were like down to admit their affection for apples. <laughs> they were down to be identified as somebody who liked apples. Yeah. They wanted to celebrate me. And my bravery to admit that I liked apples, that yeah. I was putting it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pe- people went nuts for that. You declaring this profound, very American kind of truism, you know? Like, yeah. like Americans love apples. It's like, it symbolizes New York, symbolizes teachers, symbolizes health mm-hmm. and, you know, like mm-hmm. avoiding Johnny doctors. Appleseed, the American myth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah yeah the apple also thing. also people like marking territory saying like like if you put like, mm -hmm. if i put like i'm i grew up in connecticut okay uh -huh. and like I could care less yeah. about Connecticut. I have like no emotional investment. Uh -huh. But if I tweeted, I am a proud Connecticut native. Uh -huh. Connecticut, which is like a real bland personality-less state. Yeah. There would be people who'd be like, me too. You, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and like, it's just, it's just territory. Like Twitter a lot is just like putting up flags for countries, but not countries, uh -huh. the theoretical territories of identity you know mm. i'm the kind of guy who doesn't like to talk at dinner i'm making this up i'm the kind of guy who likes to talk at dinner uh -huh. i bet you i would get like a significant response to that yeah people either saying yes i am like that or no i am opposed to that uh-huh yeah uh, twitter is just like who relates to what i don't know there are people who are really funny on twitter but i don't, I don't know how to do that i really don't either i could never figure it out in fact i deleted my like all my tweets um mm. because it's probably smart yeah <laughs> somebody once said to me is like twitter you can't get paid for it but you can get fired for it yeah precisely well i mean it's also uh not true that you can't get paid for it you can get paid for it very much um a lot of uh, old school comics are saying how you know like they've been in the game for like 25 30 years and you know it's not about like how long they've been doing it or how good their jokes are, but that it's about how many followers they have now. That's what, you know, clubs are looking at to book them. And that's, you know, it, it's, it's this whole hmm. thing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, but yeah, you, t you can definitely get fired from it. I, w I was deleting it mostly because like, um, it attracts a lot of negativity. Like you're saying, like, Oh yeah. Jeez Louise. It's tons of, it's a magnet for, negativity yeah and it's uh, a haters paradise that's what it is and it's like oh there's no end to this and it's perpetual and i would find myself like my habits were shaped by twitter too like if i had some shitty thing to say if i had some shit talk you know which i always have then i would go on twitter and then other people would you know latch onto that shit talking and i'm like Oh well, this is just like a like an area for like gossip mongering and hating. Yeah, I, I've had that feeling too. Yeah, I remember when there was a news story like a year and a half ago, or maybe it was two years ago, where there was like um, some like Native American um, something in Washington D.C., like a rally. Yeah, and then some kid in the Midwest with a Trump hat like walked right up to the main guy and like stared him right in the face kind of obnoxiously and someone took a video of it uh -huh. and it like went viral this like obnoxious <laughs> midwestern kid yeah. kind of staring down this like noble looking older guy uh -huh. yeah and just all the hate towards this kid was like intense like fuck this kid uh -huh. what a jerk i hate him yeah and then i tweeted it's like yeah man he's got a real punchable face <laughs> and then like an hour later, I took it down. I was like, what, what am I doing? Like, yeah. I don't know this kid. Yeah. Like, he's a real, he's a real kid. And he's 17 and he, he may be an obnoxious, bad person, yeah. or he might've been someone who had a bad moment uh -huh. or maybe something got misconstrued in the editing. And I don't exactly. need to just like inject hate into the situation. Right. Like I, yeah. And I don't want to be rewarded with likes for that kind of behavior exactly so. it's like we're yeah rewarding is a a good word for that we are rewarding 
hyper negativity in our society these days. And I'm just like, okay, like, do I want my social media presence to be hateful and negative? Or do I just want it to be neutral? Or, I mean, what do I want it to be? And I was kind of like reconsidering those things. I was also um, kind of reading this. There, there was this like New York Times article about this uh, professor over at Smith College. She was an activist for a long time, like reproductive justice activist. So she's a black feminist. Mm -hmm. And uh, her name is Loretta Ross. She doesn't have a PhD, but she is like, an activist and therefore like very much a teacher, you know, like um, somebody who has like lived experience to pass on. And she's trying to teach this concept called calling in rather than calling mm. out because calling out is not that progressive. Like, you know, mm -hmm. being left, being left and being liberal is one thing. And part of that does require activism, but does activism have to be toxic is the question. And um, that compounded with like, you know, the book that uh, Ron Johnson wrote um, about like, so you've been publicly shamed. And yeah, I was oh, just yeah, right, thinking right. about like these these notions of um, so-called like leftist behavior or progressivism or activism that just oh, yeah. didn't feel humane. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Activist refereeing is, I really hate it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't like it from any side, but in my circle of friends, it's the lefty people who do it. The most passionate leftists are the like angriest, yeah. least forgiving people. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm sure that I'm sure that that type of personality is true across the political spectrum. Oh yeah. Pretty much all my friends are lefty libs. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm a lefty lib too, <laughs> you know, but um, this is more like a recent thing that I'm coming to because, you know, like, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm very much down with Me Too, the whole Me Too activism, and I'm down with, I'm, I'm a feminist, you know, I'm down with all of that. And, you know, I'm part of that activism too. Um, and I'm also, a, you know, a victim and survivor as well. But it's like the question of what do we do after we call them out? What do we do after we name our, um, our perpetrators? What what comes next and whenever what's I ask, your answer to that well I mean I don't get an answer from the people my answer that I'm trying to formulate is is healing right and uh, healing it healing takes place um, regardless of that perpetrator I think you know whether or not you choose to forgive them is I think an aside I don't think forgiveness necessarily has to be forced into the equation of healing. I think um, healing is something that that takes place with time and it comes with a willingness to let go, right, of that anger, because anger is pain and sadness, right? Um, and it's like, okay, you know, when are you ready to let go of that, like that part? And it's like, and, and that's also that also requires presence, because um, if you remain angry and you remain in this suffering and sadness, then you're not being present because that's something that occurred in the past. And so it's like, okay, well, I named the perpetrator on my own. Like I didn't call them out like in, on Twitter or anything. I didn't feel the need to, um, you know, I do it with my therapist or whatever, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but after I name them, I'm like, okay, I don't want to suffer and feel victimized by this. What do I do? And it's like, okay, I want to find healing. So, you know, I practice it in a, like through, through meditation or I practice it through, you know, turning it into a joke or turning it into an essay or, you know, in my research with my, with my PhD stuff, like in my research, like I'm asking those questions, those big theoretical questions that a lot of feminists haven't written about. You know, like, what do you do after you name the crime? Do you just say, let's, you know, um, send them to prison forever or execute them? And does that end your suffering? It doesn't oftentimes. It really doesn't. I feel like pain only perpetuates pain. You know, a lot of these victimizers are also victims themselves oftentimes. Um, and it's like, okay, well, if if you want the pain and suffering to end and then it should end with you. So how about I end with me? You know, how about I find healing so that I don't perpetuate it by, you know, taking out, taking it out on somebody else. Like, you know, when when I'm driving or when I'm like at the checkout lane, those are the everyday moments where I am the most challenged. You know, I feel intense fury Mm. and rage when I'm at the checkout (laughs) and there's some bitch like, you know, <laughs> fumbling with her debit card and she's talking to the fucking cashier for five minutes. Forever. And I'm yeah, like, can yeah. I just, can you hurry the, you know? But it's like, when I'm expressing or emitting anger in that moment, I'm not angry at her. I'm angry at like, you know, my dad, you know, or I'm angry yeah. at Just the leftover guy. anger from other stuff. Exactly. And so it's like, all right, let me not let that take control of me and hold of me because that's giving into the power of that victim the victimizer and let me just try and practice healing self-healing by just not reacting to this moment and let them have their time and space and then my time will come but but it takes that takes everything out of me too it's like working at an office i'm exhausted by the end of the day but yeah 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 Hopefully it doesn't happen every day, but yeah, I know that feeling. What's um? So wait, what does calling in mean? It means like rather than um, angrily calling them out and be like, you know, and then like blow them get out. Yeah, like blow them out and like be this huge whistleblower. Try to compassionately um, understand or listen to their perspective too, you know, or try to compassionately speak to them so that it doesn't turn them off and send them over to further to the other side. It's like, you know, I mean, this woman, she's dealt with like, you know, immense, like, like rapists, like prisoners, you know, she's dealt with Mm -hmm. neo-Nazis, this woman, she's dealt with people that, you know, we folk on the left would find like just monstrous. Right. But it's like, no, they're not monsters. Like we say, like, every human being wants recognition. They just want to be heard and listened. Part of that is recognizing that they're human too. And that, that recognition of another is a recognition of the self is like, I could just as easily be a monstrous person to somebody. I have been to other people in my life. What makes me the judge of this person who's been awful? You know, they've made mistakes in their lives. And, you know, what, like if if what I want is for this person to potentially make amends and change, like yelling at them and being hostile and forcefully aggressive isn't going to be productive. So calling in requires immense compassionate thinking and kindness and mindfulness to 
and bravery and all of that right like to just be like all right let's have a talk let's try and get to a point of understanding each other you know so that we can mutually kind of see each other's humanity like that's sort of what she means i mean that's how at least i understand it yeah 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 mm. pretty fun yeah damn it's not easy i mean what she's trying to do is like almost an impossibility <laughs> you know i have a lot of friends who've been like canceled or some degree of it mm. not it, some degree of a mob of people online i shouldn't say mob but a number of people online to be like this person's bad or has bad behavior mm -hmm. and then they are kicked out of their communities mostly mm -hmm. like people in improv communities that i'm part of right and i've probably had like five people i know where then after the fact privately they've told me their side of the story mm -hmm. you know like what their experience was in the thing that they are being accused of mm -hmm. um and none of, i think it's five and none of these people think they've really done anything mm -hmm. wrong or something very minor mm -hmm. wrong. Like they're just baffled. Right. Um, and they seem to be like, what can I do to get my world back? Mm -hmm. How do I get my friends back and stuff? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what to say. Yeah. I, I even, that book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, I, I, I flipped through it. I read a review of it. I was wondering, does he say what can be done? Because mm -hmm. sometimes it feels... Like there's an overreaction. Like, yes, a wrong has been committed, but right. not a permanent exile mm -hmm. level of wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what that answer is. I don't, I don't, I don't know think either. there is. I don't know either. For those people who have been shamed and canceled, you know, their, their challenge is to find peace and healing too, you know, just yeah, as much yeah. as uh, the the people who feel victimized by them also need to find peace and healing. Um, and yeah, it, it'll, it'll depend on every scenario, but just yesterday, I mean, this isn't the, the drama that I'm going to be talking about with you, but like <laughs> I, I just finished it up yesterday. Um, well, rewatching it. It's called my mister it's on Netflix and it's about a lot of these things. Um, but basically one of the protagonists she's like 21 but she has this history she has a record of having murdered somebody um when she was in high school okay so she's very destitute she's an orphan she has a disabled grandmother that she cares for but because her mother took out a bunch of money from loan sharks the loan shark comes and beats the shit out of her grandmother beats the shit out of her and she just couldn't stand it anymore so she stabbed and killed the loan shark gangster guy so this is in okay. her record but the law um resolved her of it said she did no wrong this was completely self-defense she is mm -hmm. not a criminal under the eyes of the law but society okay. feels differently about her society once yeah. they find out that she has this past they look at her differently treat her differently they call her a murderer and so right. she starts to feel like a murderer um and you know because of this hang up that she has like a lot of the choices that she's made in life being a destitute person it's not always been the most kosher or the most legal let's put it that way but she meets this mentor a man a supervisor at the temp job that she's at and you know she says to him like well i've done so many wrongs to you like i can't believe you don't hate me and he says yeah once you get to know a person like really know a person no matter what they do 
it doesn't matter, right? And I was just like, oh, that's another answer to this cancel culture, so to speak, right? Like, mm. we know, like, you, you know your friends, these friends yes. that have gone through, you know them. And it's yeah. like, knowing somebody means really, it's like, seeing and knowing and and really believing who they are seeing them for who and what they are as a human person as a person that you're fond of that you love and it's like no matter what they do you'll never unsee that and it's so it's like recognizing humanity at, at the core and like arts and humanities scholarship which is like you know liberal arts right like sociology mm -hmm. cinema media studies like anthropology whatever a lot of the times people go to college, they become equipped with the language of criticism and critique, and then they take it out to the mm -hmm. Twitter sphere and then they start to cancel people. But it's right. like, you're forgetting the humanity part. It's, it's, um, you, you need to constantly be a student of humanism and humanity and canceling and exiling people, dismissing them completely for one mistake that they've made is not necessarily humane. But right. it's, it's, it's so, the reason why I say it's an impossibility is because it's like, how do you get, you know, like almost the whole world to reckon with that or reconcile that yeah. they, they can't because everybody's in so much, so much pain, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's when, you know, they're not ready to hear any of this because they're in so much pain. Yeah. Yeah. People also like to see things in terms of right and wrong, and they yes. don't like nuance. It's exactly just like you're good or you're bad. End of story. Yeah, no gray. Yeah, and it's hard to hold that in your brain. Yeah, and yet that's always like what people strive for. I think that's what a lot of artists strive for, and scholar, good scholars. <laughs> that's what they strive for. They don't, they don't strive yeah. for the black and white, the obvious. You know, um, trying to see things in between the lines is so much harder to do and but once you do that then that's that's great work you know that's um innovative work and creative work and i feel like that's important but i don't know i i feel like this isn't talked about as much or taught as much but i feel like it's important in any case we'll we'll, we'll do it yeah yeah, I think we'll you fix know, everybody. I think just this conversation is a form of doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, just kind of shifting gears. Um, what do you get out of stand up that's different from improv that you dabble in it? Like you said, you dabble in uh, stand up. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, improv is a uh, reactive. You are reacting to a scenario, and stand up, in my experience, is proactive. You you put on the table what you want to talk about. Huh. And so stand-up forces me to uh, firm up my viewpoint and my opinions on things, mm. whereas improv lets me stay a little cloudy and fluid. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sort of like the challenge of trying. It's almost like I do stand-up to find out what I think. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, what do I think about things? Yeah. And until I force myself. And I, and I just did a, a set Saturday night, Backyard Mike. Uh -huh. And I was real, and I haven't. I've done it like, I've done like two sets all of quarantine, and I I was never an accomplished stand up either. But even at my like low level, I had done like nothing, mm. and I was completely foggy and without point. 
and I could feel it. And I want to go do it again with like a more firm opinion. So <laughs> I like that it like forces me to, you know, decide what I think and feel about things. Hmm, That's what yeah. I like about it. It sharpens you up. And it rewards uh, precision and specifics and examples. Okay. So, yeah. What do you get out of it? You're a, you're a far more accomplished stand-up to me. What do you get out of it? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know about that, but um, I just... You are? Haven't you, like, traveled the world and stuff? <laughs> well, actually, you, I, and I, I fr- you and I have... Didn't I hear um, friends in Germany, like yeah. friends in Berlin? Well, so do you. I mean, you and I have some mutual... We have a mutual community of friends in Berlin, the Berlin comedy scene, do yeah. we not? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. I come at it from the improv side and you come at it from the stand up side, I think. Yes. Yes. That's that's I would say yeah. that's somewhat true. Yeah. Yeah. Um Well, I like stand up because of what you said. Like I like I like sharp things. <laughs> I think I like uh <laughs> I like the sharpening thing too. Um I've always been a writer and I think stand up comedy is it's first and foremost writing and um i i like that i like that part i like that you know you can have conviction when you're on stage i like i enjoy that part um you know i mean you're a comic too so you would know this but like there's no no better feeling than hearing laughter for something you just said Mm -hmm. um but yeah it for me stand-up comedy feels no different from like writing an essay or uh, writing a paper you know, or giving a conference presentation. It's like all of it feels kind of the same. And so I feel like I'm just doing another thing that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense to me. Yeah. When did you first go to Berlin to do comedy? Um, November of 2015. Wow. You went before I did. Some people in Bremen, Germany, Mm -hmm. Uh, hired me and my brother to teach um, improv workshops for like a week. Hmm. So we went to Bremen for a week. And then my brother flew home and I was like, well, I'm all, already in Germany. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to Berlin. So I like just reached out. I don't even remember how I did this to try to find if there was an improv scene in Berlin. And I got in touch with Noah Telson, mm. who's the co-owner of He's our so comedy great. cafe, Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. Super nice. And just was like, hey, I'm around. Could you put me – this was a – now that I think about it, it's kind of a crazy thing to ask. But I was like, could somebody let me crash? <laughs> and I'll do workshops, and I would like to be paid for them, but it doesn't have to be, like, a lot, just so that I can pay for, like, my time in Berlin. Sure. And he, like, said, I think we could do that. Yeah. And uh, and I think because I had TV credits, he was able to sell the spots, mm. uh, even though the TV credits really have nothing to do with my credentials of teaching improv, but – I don't know. It reassures but people that I can't be a total piece does. of shit. It, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I went there and I taught, I think, three workshops. And I crashed at his place, him and Leah's place, his uh, his wife. They just had a baby, actually. Cool. Okay. Well, um, let me get into some flashcard questions with you. So the show that okay. I'm talking about in this episode is called Crash Landing on You. It's a Netflix. Okay. It's on Netflix. It's a TVN drama, um, and it's basically about a South Korean CEO. She's mm-hmm. a CEO. She's got her own line of fashion and makeup. She's like real, real great. Uh, she goes parasailing or paragliding. I don't know the difference, but she goes like 
par- let's mm-hmm. call it paragliding. She was paragliding and then gets caught in a random <laughs> uh, hurricane, just spontaneous hurricane, right? Just as okay. as they happen, and then sure, yeah, yeah, she lands in North Korea, <laughs> <laughs> in, right around the DMZ, the demilitarized okay. demilitarized zone, and uh, encounters a North Korean soldier, very fine soldier, very sexy, very hot. And um, nice. He... She didn't land on an uggo. She landed on a... <laughs> then it would have been a very different, hot. very different yeah. show. Yeah. Thank God it was just yeah a really hot guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. she's technically um, very much an illegal in North Korea. Like North and South Korea are still in a state of war. Technically, they're just in a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And so she's very much an illegal. She's an enemy of the state. And um, okay. what he does is he's trying to get her to the other side as safely as possible without getting her caught by the the rest of the state, which might end up in some kind of prosecution or, or whatever. And he doesn't want that. So, and they, of course, in this process, they fall in love and it's a whole thing. So that's what the show is about. So let me ask you some flashcard questions based on this show and okay. what you would do <laughs> if you were in the scenario that I, that I name. Okay. okay. So, um, okay. All right. Let's say, like I mentioned, you're this hot, sexy, power-driven CEO of your own company. Your Got father it. is about to hand over his company, which is a huge corporate conglomerate. He's about to hand it down to you. But your Whoa. two older brothers and sisters, sisters-in-law, like your brother's wives, they are furious. Mm-hmm. They won't have it, okay? They won't stop harassing you about it. They're just like, they're, they're just being such dicks about it. Like, what do you do? Um, I, um, publicly humiliate them. (laughs) I would, uh, publicly list their faults to show that they are incapable of handling businesses and that I am the only suitable heir to this, to this opportunity. Okay. (laughs) A little muckraking. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, you know, you should have seen so-and-so's grades. You (laughs) should have seen so-and-so the way they handled their wedding expenses (laughs) Uh, here's the way they handle, you know, Christmas gifts. Uh, and if they had any failings in their business life, that'd be top of the list. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, okay. What, what happens in the show? Uh, well, well, she, so she lands in North Korea and, um, one of the brothers finds out that she's stuck there. And he has the ability to get her out, but he doesn't. He chooses not to. In fact, he hires criminals to try and fucking get her killed. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So let me ask you this. You're the father of this woman. Okay. And you find out that your second-born son paid some criminals to kidnap and murder your only daughter, who, who was supposed to be the heir. What do you do as the father? What do I do? Yeah. I kicked that son of a bitch out of the family. He's gone. (laughs) He tried to have he tried to have my daughter killed. His sister. Yeah, yeah. He's out of the family. Wow. Disowned. Not allowed to have my last name. (laughs) You would cancel your own son. Yeah, for murder, attempted murder. Yeah. Mm. You're definitely you're definitely not coming to Thanksgiving. (laughs) You're not invited to family dinners because I can't have you. You try to kill people. Oh. Okay, so even You're a out. father's love couldn't accept, uh, couldn't accommodate attempted murder. No. Mm. And I would do the same if it was in reverse. If she tried to have him killed, she'd be gone. Really? 
I draw the line at attempted murder. There's a lot of things that I could uh, overlook in, in terms of sibling squabbles. What but would you not overlook? Murder. Like, what's one down, one beneath murder that you might overlook? Um, if they were like being really mean to each other online, if they were doing the public humiliation <laughs> thing, I would forgive them. If they, um, if they did a bad business deal and ripped each other off financially, I'd forgive that. If they slept with each other's spouses, I would forgive uh-huh. that. Um, if they got into a fist fight, I would forgive that. If they huh. wrecked each other's cars out of anger oh. or like some kind of property thing, I would forgive that. Okay. But attempted murder? No, I'm sorry. Hmm. That is too much. Yeah. Yeah, I guess trying to kill somebody is a bit much. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's what All I right. do. All right. So you're that's, that's you're how a, you, that's a huh? That's that's a rough company. Heinz Corp is a rough company, but it's not that rough. <laughs> you're in, you're a nice audience. I appreciate it. <laughs> So, thanks. You're you're a, a North Korean soldier who is right. trying to sneak this South Korean woman back to her side of the country. Yeah, and you're on a boat. I'm hot in this situation. You're both hot. You're both very hot. You're both very Roger sexy. That. Yeah, you're Happy. on a boat illegally. Okay, you're hiding her mm-hmm. out. You're also hiding out with her. Okay, but upstairs, yes. you hear commotion. Okay, some soldiers are inspecting the boat like random inspection Uh and you and the South Korean woman are hiding and you know, you're about to get caught by these soldiers. What do you do? Oh my God, this is incredibly (laughs) stressful. Um, Okay. I try to do some ruse where I like, I'll I'll create a lie to get them on my side. I'm a soldier too, right? Yes. So I'll just be like, Hey, I'm having sex with this lady. (laughs) But she's South Korean. I shouldn't be doing it. And I've and I've admitted the error of my ways. And I'm bringing this slut back to South Korea to put her just and I look, I've done wrong. I'm throwing myself on your mercy. Uh-huh. What can I do? And I because I think these guys would be more likely to believe a chauvinist thing uh. and be kind of and be on my side for it. Yeah. And be like, oh, she's pretty hot. I get why he wanted to have Okay, you know, well, yeah, well, guys got, you know, I'd rely on the chauvinist guy code to get away with it. That's what I would do. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, it's like you could Maybe I'm a sociopath. I, I, I didn't know that I had this in me. I think I'd be a, you know, a really great manipulative sociopath. Yeah, you're getting to know yourself even on a podcast. You're not even at a, a mic or a, a stand-up comedy yeah, this, show and yet. This is what I need from stand-up, yeah. <laughs> You could have written this Korean drama yourself, actually. That's pretty much what happens, actually. He um, he hears the the lid that's about to open, and so what he does is he kisses her. And when the soldiers open this and they see a couple smooching, they get startled and they just close the lid back up. And then they come out, they reemerge, and then the the fisher the fisherman guy the the man who owns the boat is like, look, you know, they're a young couple, couple, you know, passion's hot. It's a nice night out. They're just trying to have a nice romantic evening, and here you are, like, you know, squashing their squashing his game. That's not cool. And all yeah. the fellows are like, yeah, 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 we messed up. Sorry, you know. That's pretty much what happens. Pretty so, close. That's pretty close to what I said. Absolutely. I mean, you said sex. I mean, you. <laughs> <laughs> I went right away. Yeah. Well, I was. I didn't say I would do it. I would just tell them that that's what's happening. Right. But right. Right. You were trying. Ki- kissing to get is busy. a better way. Better way to get that. Yeah. Great. Okay. It's a more efficient way to do it. So last uh, last question. All right. So you're you're okay. the North Korean soldier, the hot one. 
the same hot North Great. Korean soldier. All right, you love and it. this South Korean lady are in love now. You guys like each other, okay? But she needs I'm, to go back to it. her country, and you need to stay put oh in yours because you you serve this nation, right? And yeah, she, I'm loyal to North Korea. Exactly, you are loyal to the DPRK, but you like each other. You're in love. She's the one. She's the one. How do you solve this predicament? I got it. I mean, this isn't a very dramatic answer, but I abandon North Korea. Like the man has to go where the woman wants to go. Oh. The woman picks where the nest is. The man just. Lays the eggs, <laughs> okay. or like, you know, fertilizes the eggs. So it's like, sorry to be a little bit gross in my imagery there, but like, yeah. that's you know, the woman, the woman is in charge of the home, huh. and if she wants the home to be in South Korea, that's where it's going to be. Hmm. Yeah, and she's a, a pretty good sugar mama too, since she's a CEO of her own company. So, for true love, you got to do it. Okay, so you would leave, no contest. You would leave your family, your friends. You would. You would uh, betray your duty to the state as a soldier, all of that, just for love? For love, yep. Wow. Love is a higher calling. If it's true love, and I really felt it, I don't think I have ever felt that in real life. But if I did, I'd be like, I gotta, gotta, gotta go do it. You've never felt true love ever in your life? I don't think so. Wow. Is that weird to say? No, it's not. I don't. But... At least not like it's described. Hmm. I've, never, I've never had the feeling, this is the one. I'll uh. say that. I understand. This is it. I've never had that. <laughs> I've always had like this will this will do or <laughs> or um or uh what a bad idea this is or um yeah. I've got her fooled. She thinks we're a good match. <laughs> I've had those feelings. Okay. But, but I've never had she's the one. Never or I'm this the one firm for her conviction yeah. like oh this is it yeah. this is this is my life partner you never had that that's right mm. okay so it goes say la vie say la vie all right well that's the end of our flashcard series you did so wonderfully thank you for answering yeah, them yeah it's very fun yeah what a crazy show it sounds like oh my god you have no idea <laughs> 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 well okay that wraps up our little interview thanks so much it was so lovely having you will Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Grace. Next week, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite dramas of all time called My Mister, which came out in 2018. It is an amazing show. It's called Nayajishi in, in Korean, but it's currently streaming on Netflix in the U.S. territories. It is an amazing show. It is not a romantic comedy. It is not a romantic sappy K-drama. So if that's what you're looking for, this is not the show for you. It is more of a realist program. Um, it's heavy at times, so just be forewarned. Uh, IU is in it, and she gives like one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen in any Korean drama ever. Like I was so blown away by her performance. I think it is really worth seeing if you haven't seen it yet. So that's the show I'll be talking about next week. And folks, if you have any questions for me that you'd like me to address on this podcast, you could always email me. Email me at kdramaschool at gmail.com. If you want to visit our website, kdramaschool.com. If you haven't already, please follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, because why not? Why not follow me? I mean, who's it hurting? Who's it hurting to just click the follow button? Doesn't hurt anybody. Doesn't cost you anything. Um, and also subscribe to the YouTube channel, K-Drama School. We're on YouTube. You could watch this podcast if you want. It's fun to watch it. So subscribe, like, follow. Please do all those things. 
I don't like saying all these things, but please do all these things. I beg of you. So thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.